A couple of weeks ago, Tim came up to me and asked me if I would be willing to host a speaker this year at the convention. He said, you're from California, and the speaker's from California. You probably know him. <laughs> Forty million people in the state of California, four million drunks. He's in Northern California. I got sober in Southern California. And I didn't know him. But I've had the pleasure of getting to know him the last couple of days. And it's, uh, I think it's, you're going to enjoy this evening. Uh, he's, it's turned out he's really a nice guy. I don't know what his pitch is really like, but he's really a nice guy. And, uh, and he has some good stories and tells some good jokes at dinner. So that worked for me. But uh, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce James T. from Auburn, California. James, alcoholic. I wish you could see the view from up here. You guys are beautiful. Wow. We are not saints. I guess you got to go about 70 miles south to see the saints. Huh? I'm not from around here. You probably can tell that. But um, Anybody drink smart water here in uh, Baton Rouge? I bought a bottle of it with me. kind of helped my talk a little bit. First time I ran across this stuff, I couldn't get the lid off. Um, I'd have one. I, I guess you have to drink it first to get smart. I don't know. But... Um, I'd have one of my sponsees get it off for me. Anybody have sponsees? All right. Extra credit. Anybody have sponsees with them here this weekend? Excellent. Excellent. Um, if you want to stay sober, the book says that's probably the single best thing that you can do for your sobriety is have some sponsees. I was uh, traveling last month, or maybe it was a month before that, and I... I I missed the flight that I was supposed to get uh, to get to where I was going, and uh, I called my host. I, I actually texted my host to ask him what I should do. I, I didn't know I, I wasn't going to be where I was supposed to be, and I was I, I needed some guidance. And uh, this guy, it was uh, it was an AA convention that I was going to, and uh, this guy texted me back, uh, read page four forty nine and go to a meeting. <laughs> and I was like, that's some good AA there. So, I've been talking for a minute, and I, I got two nuggets I'll give you right off the top. If you want to stay sober, have some sponsees. And if you have a problem, there's a spiritual solution. So if you doze off during the rest of my talk, you can take those two things with you. I got to thinking about this smart water. I used to have a job a long, long time ago. One of the many careers I've had, I worked for an advertising agency in New York City. And uh, I was thinking that it would be really a good idea if some ad man came up with a way of labeling whiskey. And so when you go to the liquor store, you know what kind of whiskey you're going to get. So like, say you want to have a, you got a problem you want to solve, you go get a bottle of smart whiskey. And you go home and you drink it and, and uh, take a few notes and next morning you get up and you can't read them, but at least you had some smart whiskey to drink. You know, I'd go to the liquor store and get a bottle, and sometimes I'd get um, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde whiskey, or I'd get uh, some puking and going to jail whiskey, uh, or I'd get this uh, dialing whiskey. You know, three in the morning, you call a bunch of people who don't want to hear from you. You ever get this stuff called traveling whiskey? I thought it was a woman. Uh, that's fifth step stuff. I've been getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I did not sleep with that man. Okay. Yeah. The one I like the best though is something I call plucking whiskey. It's out of the, it's one of the stories in the back of the book. Is that I uh, I played the scenes over and over in my mind's eye of a, a nursing a drink at the bar where I suddenly got plucked away and was uh, put into some position of uh, 
of power and prestige. I love that stuff. Um, so that covers my drinking. I'm a puking, going to jail, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, traveling, dialing, plucking alcoholic who thinks I was smart when I drank. Kind of covers it. Another thing I used to like to do is think. In fact, I like thinking and drinking. Thinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and thinking and thinking and drinking and thinking. Anybody do that? I found out that there's no problem that I have that thinking is going to help. I learned that in AA. I love a saying that Einstein has, is none of your current problems can be solved by the thinking that created them. My problems were created by my thinking. I don't fix my problems by my thinking. I create my problems by my thinking. You ever see that 20 questions for whether you're alcoholic or not? You ever take those questions for your thinking? Is thinking causing you problems at home? You have trouble sleeping because of your thinking? You think your life would be better if you stopped thinking? <laughs> a guy like me needs a sponsor. You can kind of tell that you know I can't I can't figure this out by myself. I got a sponsor. His name is Jack, and he's my second sponsor. My first sponsor died when I had 18 years of sobriety, and uh, I didn't realize I didn't. I would not have done this if I thought that it was controversial, but my first sponsor was a woman. Her name was Donna. One of the last things she told me before she died is, uh, she died from lung cancer. She said, um, sobriety is no fun when you can't breathe. So, after Donna died, I got Jack as a sponsor. I like it when people brag about how long their sponsor's been sober. My sponsors, he sponsored Moses one time. Uh, but uh, we have a saying in AA, uh, you know, be nice to the newcomer and maybe your sponsor someday. And I was nice to Jack when he's new and he, now he's my sponsor. Abe Lincoln has a saying, he says, no matter how tall your grandpa was, you have to do your own growing. And uh, Jack is a, he teaches at an air traffic control school. And for a long time, I was a teacher until I retired a year or so ago at a place called the California Department of Corrections. Co control and corrections. Jack and I have issues. <laughs> One of the best uh, reasons I, I heard to have a sponsor was uh, some uh, guy outside the meeting when I asked a, asked a newcomer, a relatively new guy, how long he'd been sober or what his sobriety date was. And, and he said, which one? And uh, he says, I haven't had any uh, meth for about three years since I got out of prison. Haven't smoked any pot since I was in Mexico last year. And I haven't had to drink for 90 days. But I had a beer last night, so I guess I have 89 days today. It's called newcomer math. <laughs> I, only, I only have one sobriety date. It's the only one I've ever had. It's December the 6th, 1982. And... Uh, Clapping for an alcoholic for quitting drinking is like clapping for a cowboy who has hemorrhoids and quits riding his horse. <laughs> My sobriety date is the last time I smoked marijuana. We got any marijuana smokers here? No, I mean, do we have any ex-marijuana smokers here? Okay. Uh, we don't smoke marijuana in AA. Uh, at least the people that I hang out with, uh, you know, you're not sober if you're smoking marijuana in California where I live. But I was smoking marijuana because I had a problem with alcohol. And uh, I got to the point where I, I'm not sure that I wanted to quit drinking, but I wanted to quit having the consequences of drinking. I was tired of the consequences of my drinking. And I wanted to not have those consequences. And so I could somehow see the connection between the problems in my life and alcohol. And I made a decision to quit drinking. But I didn't know how to quit drinking. I, I hadn't found you. So the best thing I could come up with is, I know, I'll smoke marijuana. Because my problem is alcohol. Or at least that's what I thought my problem was. 
So uh, I'm smoking, I'm smoking uh, marijuana, not addictively. Before I got out of bed in the morning, uh, I had a nice little patch growing. And I did that for a while, but my sister during that time, she came to AA. We have a family problem with alcohol. And she came to AA, and she kept, uh, when she saw me, which was rare, she encouraged me to come and check it out. And uh, what she said about it, and she knew me really well, I think, is she said to me that I'd like the people. The people would like me. Wow, was she ever right? She didn't tell me about uh, the steps or God or... She didn't tell me any of that stuff because she knew that would have just scared me away. She told me, that, she told me about you. And I fell in love with you when I came here. So... When I got here, I, I, I've seen a lot of people that do a lot of what I call weird things to help uh, control and enjoy their drinking. Um, the, the book has a Latin phrase in there, ad infinitum. It's like we do an amazing number of things uh, to basically try not to drink or try to drink normally or try to control it. Um, I sponsor a guy whose sobriety date is the last time he did nutmeg. Got any nutmeg users out there? <laughs> I've seen people, uh, uh, well, I, I tried something called uh, uh, rebirthing one time. Uh, people tried Dianetics or Est or uh, Oprah or Chopra or... Uh, some people join the army to help them with the drinking or leave the army or get married or get divorced. I, I'm not making this stuff up, but I've got another sponsor who joined Amway to help him with his drinking. <laughs> it's crazy. So I get to AA and I start, I start meeting these characters. There's a lot of characters in AA. We got a guy named uh, Boxcar Bill, where I am. And, uh, there's a Dumpster Don, uh, SWAT Team Ron, Booger John. P-bed Ed. So how, how in the world are these people going to help me? What have, what, what, have I come, what have I stumbled into? If you're, if you're new here, you know, welcome to AA. It's like, oh man, how did a swift guy like me end up in a place like when I got here? It's like, how did I end up in a place like this? And, um, but I, could, I was able to listen. I could, I could hear what was being said. I didn't agree with a lot that was being said, but I could hear it. And uh, I hope that if you have trouble hearing, you're not like my friend Mel, who came in and out of AA, he just couldn't, he couldn't hear what was going on. And one time he came out of a blackout, he was laying in the back, of, in the back alley of this bar where he drank, and there was a wino pissing in his ear. And he could hear just fine after that. <laughs> takes what it takes. So I get to AA and I find out that my problem is not really alcohol. If alcohol is my problem, all I have to do is quit drinking. I knew there was something wrong with me. I knew, I knew somehow that I was damaged. There was something not right about me. I knew that. It's like I was playing with a short deck. And what I found out that there's a name for what's wrong with me. It's called alcoholism. I have alcoholism. I didn't want alcoholism. I didn't ask for it, but I have it. And if I don't treat it, it's going to kill me. And quitting drinking doesn't cure alcoholism. When I got here um, and took the alcohol away, it's like when you remove the alcohol from an alcoholic, you're just left with the ick, the alcohol ick. So I had, to, I had to find a way of treating that. And, uh, and what happened for me is, I, and when I first come, came to meetings, I introduced myself as an existentialist. I wasn't an alcoholic when I got here. I hadn't had a drink in over a year. And uh, I'm, so, I'm so thankful there was no sign in the room that says you had to be an alcoholic to be here. I would have had to have left because I wasn't an alcoholic. But I came to meetings and I listened and ended up catching alcoholism from you guys. It's a contagious disease. And this is where I caught it. So don't sit next to me. 
Because I'm going to try to give you a case. If you don't have it yet, I'm going to try to give you a case of it. So, somebody said to me at one of the early meetings, "Is uh, okay, you're here, you have, a, you have an allergy, uh, and you're going to have to come to meetings for the rest of your life. You have an allergy to alcohol. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, my dad had an allergy to bananas. I never saw him eat a banana my whole life. He just told me stories about, not stories, but a story about a banana he ate when he was young. And he got such a terrible reaction when he never had another banana in his life. He did not go to BA, Bananas Anonymous. <laughs> he didn't have to go to Bananas There's no such thing as Bananas Anonymous. Because bananas didn't talk to him. Alcohol talks to me. It's not what alcohol did to me. Losing jobs, throwing up, having no money, going to jail, uh, losing jobs, smashing cars. It's what it did for me. Alcohol does something for me that nothing else does. Nothing does. And it talks to me. Oh, come on. It starts off as a love affair. Come on, sweetheart. We're going to have so much fun. I'd still be a virgin if it wasn't for alcohol. I loved alcohol when I first started. Any other people relate to that? Okay. And in the end, it was, get in the car, bitch. And, and I got in the car. I did what alcohol told me to do. I need a lot more than just meetings to be able to, to be free of that. So I'm going to meetings for a while. One of these old-timers, you know how they are, they say, hey, kid, and they come poke you in the chest. Hey, kid, you work in the steps? I said, I don't, really, I don't really like your 12 commandments. You're reading the book? No, nah, I don't really like that book. I don't even know any Mrs. Brown. <laughs> you got a God in your life? No, nah, I, don't, I don't believe in God. You got a sponsor? No, I got it. I, I can handle it. I'm, I'm okay. I got it. Then he asked me to kick her. Well, how you doing? <laughs> so I'm not doing too good. <laughs> I'm not doing too good. And I got to thinking. Uh, uh, there I go, thinking. Uh, whether, I, whether I had the skills, whether I was capable of, of doing AA. And uh, I, I looked at my drinking and it's like, oh, I know how to follow a path. What I had was a rut. I had a rut to the liquor store. I know how to do that. I drank one day at a time. I understand that I, didn't, I can't get drunk today on yesterday's alcohol. I need to drink alcohol again today if I wanted to get drunk again. Sobriety's kind of like that. I never went into the liquor store, read the labels, and walked out of the liquor store and said, alcohol doesn't work. I drank it. You have to drink alcohol for it to work. So if you're here, I, I certainly hope that you don't leave here and go back to the bar and tell the bartender that you were in AA and AA doesn't work. You don't know whether it works or not if you haven't done it. It's a program of action. So I have to, I have to take the actions. So I kind of got the, the courage to do that as a result of, uh, of you, you sharing about you taking the actions. So I'm digging around in this book, and I'm thinking there must be some kind of references to marijuana, because it seems like a, it's a big problem for a lot of people in, uh, in AA. I'm looking and looking, and I'm thinking there must be some kind of reference there someplace in the book. And one day I come across this thing. It's buried in the book. It's on page one. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking small cold beer. A good soldier's ne'er forgot whether he died by musket or by pot. So, they don't mention the hard drugs till page seven. So I'm in AA about six months. I'm not doing anything except going to meetings and not drinking, not, not smoking pot. And I'm unraveling. You only can do that for so long. There's only a window of opportunity for a guy like me where... I've got to do something or I'm going to drink again or blow my head off or something. And I just got right to that place where I had to do something. And uh, my sister told me about this guy named Howard 
who's a member of AA, but he has a family, uh, he's a, a counselor. Um, and I went to see Howard. And uh, I told Howard the truth. I'd never told anybody the truth before. My drinking was characterized by, it was very secretive. I didn't want you to know what I was doing or get close to me. Uh, it was sleazy a lot of the times, and I moved around a lot. And so I'd never told anybody about me. And I told Howard about me. And I heard somebody say once that alcoholics really should go to veterinarians because they're used to guessing at what's wrong with their patients. <laughs> but, so we never tell them the truth. So I told Howard the truth for an hour, snot running down my face, crying. And it was like a, I, I just told him about myself. At the end of the hour, uh, he got out a piece of paper and he wrote prescription to the top. And he wrote, get on your knees and pray. And uh, he handed me this piece of paper, and I handed him $50. It was like a $50 fifth step with no fourth step. And I don't know if it's odd or if it's God, but I started to do that. I started to say, God, I didn't even believe in God. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And give me the power to do it. And at night I said, thank you for another day of sobriety. Howard gave me a number of a woman who gave me another number of another woman, and, I, and this woman's name was Donna, and I called her and asked her to be my sponsor. I'd never seen her before, never met her. And we had some things in common, and uh, she agreed that she would do that if I would work the steps, uh, go to four meetings a week, and get a journal, and write in my journal every day, and share my journal with her once a week. And I agreed to do that. About the same time, I got a new car. I'd, uh, my life was getting a little better. I'd saved a little bit of money. And I bought this sports car, which is the nicest car I'd ever had. And I had, prior to that, I had an alcoholic truck. A little bit like Jason's car, a little bit. Door panel, one color, different color, uh, cracked windshield, springs coming through the seat, ball tires. You know, alcoholic truck. And uh, somebody else's tags on the back. And uh, no, no, I'm not saying that's true for you, Jason. But. And I bought this nice new car. And I started going to a lot of meetings. And I was, actually I was trolling. I hadn't had a date in a long time. I was, I was incredibly lonely when I got here. I didn't even know how lonely I was. But the book describes my loneliness very well. I was, I was a walking dead person, just empty on the inside. And I needed to be with you for a, a long time before I could, uh, I could tell how lonely I had been. But I started going to a lot of meetings because I would not have gone out with a woman who would get in my truck. So I hadn't had maybe a date for five years. I was a bachelor when I came to you. So I don't know if anybody else is planning to date in AA, but I'll say that the, uh, the, the, uh, the odds are very good, but the goods are very odd. So, I start meeting with my sponsor, and I'm journaling, and I'm journaling, and there's little numbers on the steps for guys that went to college, and I go back and look, look back over my life, and it's really, really clear to me this, that when I take a drink, I can't stop. Uh, when I'm not drinking, I forget that I can't do that. And I remember one experiment that I had, one of my better experiments to prove to myself that I wasn't an alcoholic was, I didn't even know what an alcoholic was, but I, what I came up with is, I know what I'll do, I'll not drink for 30 days, because an alcoholic can't do that. So if I can not drink for 30 days, then I'm, I'm free and clear and I'm not alcoholic. So I do this, I don't take a drink for 30 days, or close to that, I think. And uh, I meet a buddy, I was attending bar at the time, I meet a buddy for lunch and have a glass of wine to celebrate not drinking for 30 days, uh, which makes sense. And I was in jail at midnight that night. When I take a drink, I can't stop. But there's a second part to that, uh, that first step. And I can see that because of my inability to see that I was powerless over alcohol, I ended up uh, making a mess out of my life. I'm not a good manager of my life, and I have a lot of evidence to prove that I did a very poor job of that. So. I need help. I need, I need a new manager. And my life looks pretty good now. It's because I'm not the manager anymore. 
I've found this power in AA, and I'll let this power be my manager. And one of the things that I do to remind myself that I'm not the manager is I don't ask the question, why? Why is a management question? I'm in footwork. I'm not in management. And it frees me up a lot to, uh, to not think that I'm in, in management by asking that question. Because for me, to ask why is to ask for an argument with God. I don't want to argue with God. When I have a problem now, which I don't, I rarely have a problem, but when I do, it's almost always because I think things should be different than they are, and I think that I should be the manager. If I was managing things, they wouldn't be the way they are when, when I'm upset about something. But what I realize is when I fight reality, I lose, but only 100% of the time. So I stay out of management as best as I can. Step two, for me, you know, we all have stories. I'm sure we all have stories of the crazy things we did when we were drinking. But the craziest thing I ever did, I did sober. I picked up another drink. For a guy like me to pick up a drink is crazy. I'm nuts. So I need to be restored to sanity. That's step two. Uh, during the, I worked in a prison for 15 years. I just retired recently. And during, I was a teacher. And during the 15 years that I was there, as you can well imagine, I met a lot of inmates, convicts, who had been in AA. Our prisons are full of people who have been to AA. And I started this little informal survey asking my students, asking them first if they'd been in AA, and then asking them some more questions. I said, did you have a sponsor? Did you work the steps? Did you put some, some clean time together? And probably over the course of the, the 15 years that I was there, I maybe met 25 guys who had done all those things. They'd been in AA for multiple years, and they'd had sponsors, and they'd worked the steps. Every one of them, every single one of them told me it was the best time of their life. Well, then I asked them, well, what are you doing in prison? What did they say? They stopped going to meetings. So I come to the meetings so that I don't go insane. Because if you drink again after you've been here a while, you have to go insane first. So the meetings keep me sane. And plus, going to the meetings helps me to see what happens to the people that don't go to the meetings. They go insane. So I get to step three, and I go to my sponsor, and I said, okay, this is as far as I can go. I don't believe in God. I'm done. I, I can't go any further. What, what am I going to do? And I said, this, this AA is just full of contradictions. This doesn't make any sense at all. It's, this doesn't make any sense at all. And she says, what are you talking about? I said, well, in the book, I read something about uh, the problem of the alcoholic is in his mind. I go to the meeting, there's a sign on the wall that says, think, think, think. <laughs> Somebody says the, one of the uh, indispensables of recovery is honesty. And someone else says, fake it till you make it. <laughs> and then someone says, you have to surrender to win. Well, tell that to your military friends. Or you have to give it away to keep it. Talk to your bank manager about that. Or we're not uh, bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get well. Why do we have to do a moral inventory? Taking a trip, not taking a trip. Said, oh, don't worry. These are only suggestions. And someone else says, well, there's a hundred musts in the basic text. Someone said, don't make any uh, major changes in the first year. But quit drinking. That sounds like a major change. <laughs> Don't make any major decisions the first year, but turn your will and your life over to the care of God. Don't get into a relationship the first year, but get a sponsor and tell him all your shit. That sounds like a relationship to me. My favorite one is half measures avail us nothing. You'll be amazed before you're halfway through. So I go to my sponsor and I'm telling her all this, and she says, well... What about your life? You got any contradictions in your life? I get to thinking about it a little bit. I just, I just graduated from UCLA, and I was on this trip in Europe, and um, I ran out of money fairly quickly, and I wired, uh, a friend wired me $200, which would have been enough at that time to last a month or six weeks in Europe. And I got the money, 
around noon, and uh, it was all gone that day. I woke up the next day, and I didn't have any money. And there's a line in the book about, uh, in a lot of ways, we're pretty normal people, except when it comes to alcohol. And I thought, you know, that's probably true for me. I've never gone into a store and said, hey, can I buy everybody a loaf of bread? But, you know, I did that with alcohol. And that night, I was uh, in a mission where I was sprayed with this lice spray. And that's a contradiction in, in my life to the way that I was living. So what I decided was this. I decided to let AA change me instead of me trying to change AA. And that, for me, meant launching on a vigorous course of action. It wasn't very vigorous right off the bat. I probably stared at a blank piece of paper for a couple of months. But I, but I started to do my four-step, and I, I didn't have a lot of resentments that I, that I was in touch with, but I, I had a lot of hate in my heart for my father. I hated him. There was a period of many, many years where I wouldn't talk to him, put his name at the top of a piece of paper. And started, I started to write about the, the pain that I felt as a child growing up with an alcoholic father. And uh, I, just, I just started sobbing and crying, and, and I called my sister. I called in sick to work, and uh, I talked to her, and I, I just kept writing and sobbing and crying. And something happened that day, something about my willingness to start to, uh, to get in touch with the feelings that I had and just seeing how spiritually sick he was. And uh, I, I, I can't explain it, but that day I was free of that anger and hate that I had towards him. Uh, my fears list, I had women on my fears list, I had God on my fears list, both important relationships for men, and I didn't have good relationships with, with either of those, and, uh, and my sex inventory was, was uh, a lot of my secrets were around the things that I'd done in my past that I was shameful of. When I went to do my fifth step, it was kind of a rainy November day, and as we were driving over to the place where we were going to do it, it was a place where I used to grow pot. And uh, uh, my sponsor was saying something about seeing a lot of trash cans that were being kicked over by dogs or something. And she says, I've got to change my, uh, my attitude because I'm seeing a lot of trash. And uh, I did my fifth step. And uh, I didn't have a lot of insights in it, but it, I was as thorough as I could be. And on the way back uh, to her house, we saw a rainbow. And it touched me very deeply that I, my life had been, I'd ruined my life. I'd thrown it away. It was like a garbage can, and I dumped this garbage can out, and I saw a rainbow. I, the book uh, was in a meeting last night of the best of Back to Basics, and we were reading page 75, and there's a lot of promises when we do the fifth step, and those promises came true for me. There's promises all through that book. But I, got, I got excited about my sobriety that day because I was taking action. I was doing what you did because for so long I wanted to figure it out, and I wanted to argue about it. I didn't want to do anything. Let's talk about it. No, no. Let's, and I finally took the action. And when I did, I got some really wonderful results for me. Six and seven looks like, ooh, this is easy. Just two little paragraphs in the book. Just wham, I'm done with that. But this, uh, this new car and this trolling that I was doing, I was very successful at it. I ended up meeting a woman named Betty, and uh, we started dating. And our idea of a date was going to a meeting. That's, that's the best thing I could think of to do. And I'd be holding her hand, uh, walking her back to her door at night. And I didn't know whether to kiss her or say the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> but we got married, and she sends her love to you tonight. She's not able to be here, but uh, she has more sobriety than I do. But uh, she's just a wonderful gift in my life. And uh, we just celebrated 28 years of marriage. And my story is no relapse and no divorces. That's possible in AA. And, and when I married Betty, Betty had two children. Uh, a girl, Angela, seven, and a boy, Sean, 13. And she had a sister who had some children. So on, on one day, uh, I get to be a father, a husband, and an uncle. And I don't know how to do any of those things. And I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm wanting, I, I want to be good at that. I, I, I truly wanted to learn how to do that. I didn't know how, I didn't know how to do relationships. 
And so I'm at six and seven, and I'm starting to... I thought I was this great guy because I was by myself all the time. But when I get in relationships with people, I see that I have some defects of character that are, that are blocking me from being effective in these roles that I have. And I was able to identify what I think is my, it was my main character defect that drives a lot of my behavior, and I call it fault-finding. I'm going to find fault with what you're doing, and I'm going to push you out of my life. And I was doing that my whole life. Because when I push you out of my life, then I can drink the way that I want to. And that doesn't work when you're a father and a, and a, and a husband and an uncle. Just prior to getting sober, I was uh, living on this property that I had. I was shitting in a bucket calling it composting. And, uh, and I, my idea was to put a, put a big barbed wire fence around it to keep all the teenagers away from my pot. And I was just going to be in the middle of this piece of property with a pot and cheap wine that I was drinking and, and some vitamin C so that I could be healthy. And, and I realized later on that working in the prison system is the worst punishment we have in America is we put, some, put somebody by themselves. It's called solitary confinement. I did that to myself in my disease. That's where my disease took me. Everybody was gone. And it was just me. And so I get married, and I'm a stepdad, and I don't know how to do that. And nobody can do the dishes right. It's like I have this gift or curse or whatever you call it, is I know how to do everything. And I'm going to tell you. I, I know the internationally accepted standard way of doing things. So nobody can do the dishes right. So in the interest of, of peace in the family... I decided to start doing the dishes myself. So, and I like to garden, so my hands were always dirty. So I just stand at the sink, and I, and I wanted to do them peacefully. I didn't want to do them with resentment or anger. So I just have to stand there sometimes for several minutes before I could just do the dishes. And if you're just doing the dishes, doing dishes is very spiritual, if you're just doing the dishes. And um, what I started to do, and I learned this from you, I started to treat my stepchildren as newcomers. It started off with Angela, you're not the, you're not the boss of me, you can't tell me what to do. And, and, and then I started writing her notes about how happy I was to be her dad and how, what a special daughter she was and how much I loved her. And I, started, I stopped finding fault with everything she was doing. It took a long time, but many, many years later, she asked me to walk her down the aisle when she got married. And at her wedding, her biological father was there and he thanked me for raising his daughter. You taught me how to do that. I'm a fault finder. I don't know how to do that. I got to write the checks for that wedding, too. <laughs> and I was happy to do that because I had a good job. You taught me how to do that, too, to suit up and show up, be, be accountable. Sean, my son, 13 when I came into his life, he was already into his disease, and I didn't know that at the time, but, but his disease progressed very rapidly for him. And uh, when he was about five years sober, he, he, no, when I was about five years sober, he was 17, just short of my five-year birthday, he borrowed my car. And I called it my sobriety car, because I, I loved this car, and it was a gift to me of being sober. So everybody knew my car as my sobriety car. So he borrowed, he borrowed my sobriety car, and he got drunk, and he smashed it and almost killed his passenger. In fact, his passenger was in a coma for a week. And uh, I wasn't very spiritual about this. I was very upset. And some Al-Anon people came to our house. They do Al-Anon uh, house calls where I live. And one of the women said to me, I was complaining about what Sean had done. He was in jail or juvenile hall. And I said, he ruined my sobriety car. And she said to me, well, maybe it's not your sobriety car. Maybe it's his sobriety car. That was his last drink. He just celebrated 25 years of sobriety. He got sober at 17. He met a girl who got sober at 16 in San Diego, and they've been married for a long time. Both have master's degree. They're doing fabulously well. The disease, the disease of alcoholism is progressive, but recovery is progressive also. Parenting is progressive, too. I look at my parents and I look at Betty's parents 
And I think that we did a better job parenting than our parents did. And I look at our children, they do a better job parenting than we did. The disease, the recovery is progressive. Step eight, I made a list. I traveled around a lot. I, I'd, uh, I maybe filled up three passports when I was drinking. I, I, I moved a lot. I was sober several years before I realized you can move it in the, you can move in the daytime. Did you know that? There's a lot of people that I have not, I've been not able to locate. I will, I'm more than willing to set the record straight if I can. I don't know who they are or where they are, but I, I'm very willing to, to right the wrongs that I've done. But my amends, for the most part, I think that, uh, that touched me the most were certainly with my, my mother and father. Um, I was a neat kid. I had, I was, I had a lot of potential. I, I could have been a contender. Um, it's like alcohol, I thought, gave me wings, but then it took the sky away. And that was a big disappointment, especially to my mother. And uh, she died. The year, when I had five years sober, my mother died. Betty's sister was killed in a car accident, and one of her children was paralyzed, and Sean smashed my car. It was a very, that was a very busy year, five years of sobriety. But I was right in the middle of AA then. You surrounded me, and you, you loved me, and you just were there for me. And I just felt this uh, sense of community and protection from being right in the middle of AA. But, but prior to my mom dying, during those, those five years, I was able to be a good son. I was able to go see her. I was able to just, I could just be there for her. And that was a real gift. My father, I invited him to come and live with me at one point. And this is later on. He was in a bad situation. And he came and moved into my house. And I was willing to, I had a lot of love in my heart for him. He could have stayed forever. I was willing to have him stay the rest of his life with me. He was there about three weeks. Something upset him. And he says, I'm out of here. And he left. And he's a fault finder, too. Uh, he died a very lonely man. And, uh, but the amends that touched me the most, it's, this is weird, but one of them was for $10 and one of them was for $5. Uh, the, the $10 amend, I got $10 too much in change one day at this restaurant I used to go to. And um, I knew it wasn't right, but I'm thinking, if you can't count, I don't have to teach you. It's not my job. And... Uh, so I put it in my pocket, and a couple of weeks later, this woman in the restaurant says, well, I'm selling the place, and this is my last day today. And I was the secretary of a step study meeting on Wednesdays that when we were going to this restaurant, I think, well, I've got to give the money back. And I said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I pulled out $10 in my pocket, and I said, I, I was in here a couple weeks ago, and I got too much in change. I want to give this back to you. And she says, are you serious? I said, lady, I would not be doing this if I wasn't serious. And I started to cry. Big macho guy in this restaurant, and that was the best $10 high I ever had. I'm getting right with the world. I'm doing what you said you did. Gave me a lot of courage to pay back the IRS. The, the, five, the $5 amend, uh, a few years after Sean got sober, he went down to San Diego to go to school, San Diego State. He calls me up one day, and uh, he says he'd been stealing money from me and wanted to pay it back. I'd been a waiter at, uh, prior, uh, when I got sober, and I had a big jar where I used to throw my coins. And I looked in, and it was all nickels and pennies. He'd, take, he'd taken all the quarters and dimes out and bought beer and pot or whatever. And he sent me $5 in the mail. And I got so excited about that. I'm thinking, you know, we look at the steps and say how it works, and we look at the traditions and say why it works. And we look at step nine and say when it works. This program comes alive for us when we do step nine. And Sean was doing step nine. Five dollars he sent me. I got so excited I sent him a hundred dollars back. <laughs> I, want, I wanted him to sense the power of what he was doing. And a little while passes and he sends me another five, and then a little while passes I sent him another hundred, and all of a sudden the five start coming fast. <laughs> I think step ten is my favorite step. It's it's the step where I get to identify the problem. I always thought you were the problem. It turns out that I'm the problem. If you're the problem, there's no solution for me. I'm the problem. It's me and it's my attitudes. It's not the Lutherans, it's not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans, it's not the Arabs. It's me. It's me and my attitudes. And I can change those because you've given me the tools to do that. 
I think the, probably the most misquoted line in, in AA is when people say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. That's not what the literature says. The literature says what we were like, what happened, and what we're like now. What it's like is like, you go out to the corner here, there's a light out there, it goes green, yellow, red, green, yellow, red. Does that all day, all night? It's doing it right now, green, yellow, red. It's what I bring with me when I go up to the light. I get to the light and I want it to be green. I got a story about it. And I can't have any peace with that. There's a guy that uh, I know who says when he gets to a red light, he thanks God for his sobriety. So it's like change your mind, change your life. It's more than a bumper sticker. Uh, another guy says just he closes his eyes for a second and he tries to get in touch with his higher power. He says, somebody else let you know when the light's green. <laughs> and when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I love step 10. Uh, step 11, I... Uh, I didn't, have, I didn't have a God in my life when I started this, this journey. But by doing the work that you said you did and that I did, I've come to have a relationship with this power. And I read something where uh, somebody suggested that where it says sought by prayer and meditation, that they changed the words and they said sought by paying attention. When I pay attention, I'm where the power is. I love it at meetings. I go to a lot of topic discussion meetings, and every meeting I go to, someone in the middle says, uh, what's the topic? I say, it's paying attention. That's always the topic. Pay attention. I don't know if you ever heard this. Now hear this. Now hear this. It's like it's an it's a announcement of a message to come. What I realized was that's the, that's the message. Now hear this. When I'm now, and I'm here, my feet, and my head, and my heart are all in the same place, and I'm with this, that's where God is. That's where the power is. And I was always like, when I was at work, I was thinking about being at home, and when I was at home, I was going to be at work, and if I was at a bar, I was thinking about being at the next bar. I was never where I was. So I couldn't get in touch with the power. The wake doesn't power the boat. It's now, here, this. That's the mantra. When I can do that, I'm where the power is. In my kitchen, I've got a toaster and a refrigerator and an oven and a coffee maker and a microwave, all those kind of things. None of those things work without the power. You have to, an AA is a bunch of power tools. I need to be plugged into the power to have the tools work. And that's all about being present right here. And I learned that by working these steps. Uh, step 12. Um, I'm a better, uh, I'm certainly a, a better member of, a better citizen. I'm a better driver on the freeway. I'm a better uh, customer in the grocery store by practicing these principles in my life. I'm not a saint, but I've certainly made a lot of progress in that area. I love carrying the message. When I first got sober, I crammed the message, but I carried the message. Now, I love, I love speaker CDs, and I'm thanking Terry for what he's doing over here. I have a really good collection. I love passing them out. I take them into prisons, take them into jails, take them into halfway houses. And I love having newcomers have a chance to listen to the message when they're driving around and get out of their head a little bit. Um, but mostly, I think, step 12 is the spiritual awakening. That's, that's the... That's the most exciting part about 12, is what's happened to me is a result of doing this work. And when I talked about step 10, I didn't mention that little part about when we were wrong, promptly admitted. And I can look at my spiritual awakening and see that a lot of that for me is realizing how wrong I was. I was wrong about a whole bunch of things. And I heard a little story, a little poem that I think kind of uh, it, it, it summarizes it really well. It's, a, it's called The Cookie Thief. It's about a woman who goes to the airport, and uh, she's sitting waiting for her plane, reading a novel, and in the seat next to her, she has a bag of cookies that she's eating, and then there's another seat over one, and there's a man sitting there, and she looks over, and she sees him eat one of her cookies. She's kind of shy, so she doesn't say anything, and she eats another cookie and reads her novel, and then 
he eats another cookie. And this goes on for a little while. And uh, gets down to one cookie. He breaks it in half and gives her half. And um, she never says a word because she's too bashful. Her plane is called. She leaves, gets settled in the plane, gets out her knapsack to get her novel. And there's her bag of cookies. She was eating his cookies. <laughs> it's like, oh, I had this all wrong. I was wrong about God. I thought dependence on his power would uh, shrink me. But it actually made me independent. I thought this book, I told you what I thought about the book. This is the best book ever written about the disease of alcoholism and recovery from alcoholism. I was wrong about you. You're the most fabulous people in the world. I was wrong about the steps. I thought the steps were punishment somehow. No, no. They set me free. I thought I'd lose myself by doing this. I found myself. I was wrong about uh, um, gratitude. I thought, okay, I have this little pile here. I'm grateful for this, but I'm not grateful for that. And what I came to realize is having a good pile and a bad pile isn't, isn't make, doesn't make sense for me because I don't know which pile to put stuff in. Alcohol is a bad pile. No, no, that's the good pile. Because I get to be with you. So now I only have one pile. Thank you, God. Forgiveness. I was wrong about forgiveness. I thought somehow forgiveness was condoning what you were doing. No, forgiveness is for me. I get to be free of whatever perceived harm there was. You don't even have to know about it. It's for me. It's not for you. I was wrong about trusting you. I thought I couldn't trust you. No, it's me I couldn't trust. I thought I wasn't getting enough love. No, I wasn't giving enough love. I thought it would be fun to be famous. What's really cool is being anonymous. I thought I wanted to be the boss. Being a trusted servant is a wonderful place to be. So everything, I was wrong about everything. So I love the, uh, the set-aside prayer. Let me set aside what I think I know about this. For a new experience about the steps and a new experience about that book and a new experience about this higher power. I don't know what I don't know. And I'm sure there's a lot of things still to come that I was wrong about. I think one of our most powerful lines in the literature is we have to get rid of our old ideas. The result is nil. So I love these steps. I really do. You know, I see a lot of uh, I see a lot of people. I've worked in a prison. I taught a DUI class for a long time, and I've been sober for 30 years. I see a lot of people coming and going from AA, and to me, it's like a lot of people. I think what I see them doing is working the steps backwards. I just want to give you a quick idea of what I think that looks like. Twelve. I have a principle I live by. It's called dog eat dog. It's a rough world. If I don't get mine before you do, there won't be enough to go around. Eleven, I have a prayer, me, 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 more, 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 now, 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 amen. I take inventory of yours. I don't know how you stay sober working the program you do. Uh, nine, I'm going to skip nine. I'm not going to pay the money back. Eight, I got a list that's a shit list. Your name's on it. Seven, uh, humility is not one of my faults. If it was, I think I'd choose that one. Uh, six, I'm willing, willing to do it my way. Five, I'm not copying anything even if you have pictures. Four. There's like a shit fairy that follows me around. It's always dumping on me, and I can never get a break. And it's like everything is always picking on me. Life is so bad. If I fell into a barrel of tits, I'd come out sucking my thumb. <laughs> Three. I'm not going to turn my life over to God. What if he screws it up? Two. Um, I understand the inner workings of my mind. Now it would be possible for me to take a drink knowing what I know about myself. One, I think I overreacted to this whole I'm an alcoholic thing. I think I'll have a glass of wine. Um, I told you what happens when I, when I take a drink. Click, click. When they put handcuffs on you, they're saying you can't even be trusted with your own hands. Go to jail. Empty your pockets, sir. 
take off your jewelry. This is my sobriety coin. I keep that with my money because when I don't have any sobriety, I don't have any money. And it says, to thine own self be true. I won't need that because I'll be lying so fast. I got my car keys here. Picture of a camel on there who starts to stay on its knees and can go 24 hours without a drink. I've got a coin here a friend gave me. It says, I seek strength not to be greater than my brother, but to fight my greatest enemy myself. I take off my wedding ring, but I'm a little fat since I quit smoking 25 years ago. <laughs> can't, can't get it off. That's okay, because I'm married. I don't care about taking it off. Picture of my granddaughter. It's a feisty little granddaughter. I won't be able to see her anymore. Driver's license. That's gone. Credit cards. I didn't have any of those when I was drinking. I can put my teeth out here, too, but that's probably not appropriate. <laughs> Everything good in my life, everything good in my life is a direct result of me being an Alcoholics Anonymous. You think I'm going to give that up for a drink? I love these steps. One, two, three, uh, give up. Four, five, six, clean up. Seven, eight, nine, make up. Ten, eleven, twelve, grow up. One, two, three, keeps me right with God. Four, five, six, keeps me right with me. Seven, eight, nine, keeps me right with you. Ten, keeps me right with me. Eleven, keeps me right with God. Twelve, keeps me right with you. This is an awesome program. For a guy like me to, to be sober and work this program, I get to be happy and usefully whole. And all I, have, I can lose that just by taking a drink. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay with you. You know, many times in my sobriety, I've, uh, and, and both drinking and in sobriety, I've asked myself the question sometimes, what's, what's, what's the point? The literature has an answer. The point is to be willing to grow along spiritual lines. Well, I ask myself, what does that look like? How do you do that? Where do you put your hands? Um, and I've been doing some reading lately, and I keep coming across the same answer to the question, how do you grow spiritually? And what I've been reading is the single best thing we can do to grow spiritually is to be kind to each other. If you can't be kind to us, I hope you can be kind to yourself. Because if you can be kind to yourself, you can't help but be kind to us. That's how the universe works. Thanks for letting me share. All right, that was great. Let's give James another hand real quick. I heard your pitch before. You got oh, two. Wow. They want to give you these gifts as a thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Oh, wow. Beautiful fat Tom. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Excuse me. All right, that was great. There's a lot more to come all weekend, so stick around. And now let's. Uh, Let's try and circle up and uh, close this meeting with the Lord's Prayer. screw up a two-car funeral. Uh, who never misses a meeting? 